0: Blessed Lord who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our instruction, help us so to hear them, to read, to note, to learn, to inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and forever hold fast the hope of everlasting life, which we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Some of us are awake, that's good. (laughs) My name is uh, Justin Reed Smith. I am the Dean of the Rocky Mountain Deanery. And yes, we are in the Diocese of Western Anglicans with you. Um, (laughs) Father Scott asked if I would help out, since I was down here already, for the uh, Executive Committee Retreat, and I said I would be happy to. All saints aren't that scary, are they? (laughs) No. So, anyway... It's good to be with you, just a little bit about myself. I am the husband of one wife, the father of four children. My wife Liz and I uh, originally met doing youth with a mission. And uh, so going from youth with a mission to where I am now in the Anglican tradition, a lot of YWAMmers end up asking me, how did you get there? And I said, well, you know, I'm still a charismatic, except I'm broader in my charismatic understanding. There's nothing more charismatic than when the priest stands at the altar and prays for the Holy Spirit to take these ordinary things of bread and wine and make them the body and blood of Jesus. So it's a great joy to be with you. Liz and I met, as I said, in YWAM. We moved after we were done with YWAM so I could do my theological training at Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia. We were up there for five years. Our two oldest boys, John and Nathaniel, were born in Canada. Then we moved, and I was ordained in the Church of England, and I served my curacy for three years in the Church of England. And during that time, our daughter Katie was born, but during that time, we thought we were going to do ministry in the UK for the rest of our lives. But God had other plans. You see, I'm a little slow, and I'm a little thick sometimes, and as I was praying one day, this was about the time that the ACNA was beginning to form, I remember distinctly God saying to me, either put up or shut up. Either go and do something about a renewed Anglicanism in North America or stop talking about it. So my wife and I began to pray. And in that prayer, we had a chance to discern that God was going to do, in my mind, the unthinkable, which was call us to go plant a church in lovely and beautiful and warm Missoula, Montana. (laughs) And so we discerned, and I came originally in February of 2011 to meet uh, Bishop Bill, Father Russell Martin, Pastor Richard Crocker, I met Father Charles Myers, all at Anglican 1000, which is now always forward. And then I flew up to Missoula, and I spent a few days in Missoula, but as we landed in the ginormous Missoula airport that has six gates, I remember getting off the plane and my foot hitting the tarmac and God saying, this is the place. Here's a guy who never thought he would plant a church, was already in the UK and was going to do ministry for the rest of his life with his wife and kids over there. And God spoke very clearly about his mission. Today, we celebrate World Mission Sunday. And so we are articulating certain things about what mission is and what mission isn't. Mission is not only over there. Mission is not only in the African continent or Southeast Asia or even if we get a little crazy, Eastern Europe. Mission, guess what? Mission is here, mission is our neighborhood. Mission is our workplace. Mission is our family. Mission is our friends. And the mission of God is for the whole people of God. I'll say that again. The mission of God is for the whole people of God. Not just those of us wearing the funny clothes. You see, ultimately, our God is a missionary God. In the divine life of the Holy Trinity, in that communion relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God himself, in the form of Jesus, comes to the world from his own culture and created nat- uh, uncreated nature in that culture of the Holy Trinity to our culture, his creation. The thing that he had created. Paul in Philippians 2 sums this up really, really well. Verses 5 and following, he says, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself and took on the form of a human being. God himself is a missionary to his creation. So it stands to reason then, doesn't it, that if we are his people... We, too, are meant to be missionaries. We, too, are called into the mission of God. That his kingdom might be proclaimed in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our families, and with our friends. So today we're going to spend some time kind of unpacking that using our scripture readings from today. So if you have your bulletin or a pew Bible, John chapter 20. And I'm louder than the car alarm out there, so don't worry. So one of my favorite passages in all of scripture is John chapter 20. But John is so dense and so compact in what he's saying and nuanced in that intensity that we have to be careful as we unpack this together. The other thing we have to be careful of as we approach the scriptures is that ultimately you and I, if we spend any significant time in church at all, think about this passage and say well, I already know this. I know about Thomas. I know about the disciples. I know what Jesus said. What I'm going to ask you to do right now is set all that aside. Because as we hear the word of God proclaimed in our midst, the spirit of God enlivens it for us. And there are things that you and I in this time together are going to see that maybe you haven't seen before. You willing to do that with me? Will you trust me in that? Great. Great. John chapter 20 and verse 19 is where we start our reading today. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. Now, that should set off alarm bells for you. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week. What first day of the week? Well, you have to go back to the beginning of John 20 to understand what first day John is talking about. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw the stone that was rolled away. And she thought that the body had been taken from the tomb. And she says, they've taken the Lord that first day. You see, the early church understood the first day of the week as the eighth day of creation. So God is restoring, renewing, reinvigorating his creation on the first day of the week. That's why you and I stand here this morning on the first day. The new creation has come through the resurrection of Jesus. And therefore, everything has changed. Everything is different. You and I Are now different. That's what John's talking about. On the evening of that day. The first day of the week. The doors being locked. Where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. Doesn't sound very much like first day ideology does it? They're afraid. They're worried. If they did this to Jesus. Imagine what they're going to do to us. But if it is the first day. If everything is now different because of the first day, why be afraid? And Jesus came in verse 19 and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, for you and I, that's something that we do as we transition from the liturgy of the word into the liturgy of the Eucharist, right? But actually for John, what he's getting at is actually garden imagery, Think Genesis 1. Why does John, how does John start his gospel? In the beginning was the Word. Oh, wait a minute. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created. You see what John's doing? He's talking about new creation. And on the first day of the week, and then the peace of God that is proclaimed is God looking at his creation and saying, it is very good. The shalom of God, the Sabbath of God. And Sabbath, by the way, is not where you and I get to sit in our lazy boys and watch the football game. (laughs) Sabbath actually in its fullness is action where everything has been so rightly ordered that it's time to get to work. So when Jesus says to his disciples, peace be with you, he's saying it's time to go to work. So as we share the peace today, one of my challenges to you is to think of it that way. Not just, I have been reconciled to God, therefore reconciled to you, but it's time to go to work. Peace be with you. But God doesn't just give us a task. He doesn't just tell us what to do or how to do it, but he empowers us to do it. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they said, saw the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Here's the task. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's the task. God is sending his people into the world to proclaim his glory and excellencies. Think about that for a second. It's not just to the apostles. It's not just to the fit and intelligent that he sends them. But it is every single one of us gathered here today that are being sent. But the task is not just, I've got to pull up my bootstraps and get to work. But he empowers us to do the task as well, because what does Jesus do next? Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. You and I have been not only ransomed and redeemed into the life of Christ, but he has given us a task and then empowered us to be able to do it. Now, Thomas, good old Thomas, who we call what? Doubting Doubting Thomas. Thomas gets a bad rap. Thomas doesn't actually doubt. Does it say doubt in the text? No. He applies conditions to Jesus' ministry. Better way to put it is conditional, Thomas. Here's my question for you. What conditions have you placed on God's ministry in your life and in the ministry of those that you know? What condition have you said, God, I'll do everything except... I never thought I was going to plant a church. I'm not the type A cereal planter that goes to a place for three years, gets something up and running and moves on and does it and does it and does it. That's not me. So, of course, I'm not going to plant a church. Why would I ever plant a church? Conditional Thomas. But God comes to us and he says, peace be with you. As I have been sent, I am sending you. Receive the Holy Spirit for the work you are being called into. Go. Now, we have to be really careful here. Because we can tend to stay where Thomas wants to stay. And we would maybe be gracious enough to one another to say, Well, you know, Jesus isn't going to appear right in front of me and say, Here are my hands and my side. Justin, be careful what you pray, but the reality is the proclamation of Thomas after he experiences Jesus shattering his conditions, destroying them, he makes his proclamation my Lord and my God. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are you willing to let go of your conditions? Are you willing to set aside all the things that you think you're unable to do? Because you have been called. You have been equipped. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task that God has set before you. Whether that be at school, at home, at work, at the coffee shop, it does not matter. God has empowered you with this Holy Spirit to accomplish his mission in the world. Are you willing to let go of the conditions of how that looks or how you think it's supposed to look? You see, in Missoula, when we came, we had a chance to do what's called a parachute drop where you move to a place, you don't know anyone, you build a relationship, and then you start planting the church. So the first two years of our time in Missoula were spent getting to know people, and we have this great big, squishy and soft sofa in our front room that we have a chance to go and invite people into and we say, come and hang out, come sit on this glorious sofa, have a meal with us and we'll talk, we'll drink some whiskey, we'll hang out. Now, the way I used to understand that is just hanging out. The way I understand it now, that is mission. People who need to come into the life of Jesus, who need to know more fully the life of Jesus. You have been equipped already. We complicate things, people. We say, what's the program going to be? What are, the, what are the texts we're going to use? What's the booklet we're going to hand out? And, Do we have enough chairs set up? And No. Do you have people over for dinner? Yes. Now, I want to take a poll. How many of you can cook? I'm not saying well, but cook. Whether that is even toast. Can you make a cup of coffee? Guess what? You're on mission. God has equipped you to do mission. How many people here maybe have a jacuzzi in their backyard? Invite people over. Hang out. sit in the jacuzzi. Do you see what I'm getting at? God has already given you everything you need. And he has appointed you in order to go into the world. The question is, is are you going to stay with your conditions or not? That's the challenge, right? Are you going to come up with the excuse to say, well, you know, Jesus, I would go, but. We have somebody in our congregation in Missoula who has, um, basically paralysis on the left side of her body. She has four children. And she is one of the most hospitable people I know. She, the way she puts it is, I attract strays. People who are broken. People who are hurting. And here's a woman who most of the time sits in a wheelchair and yet is still on mission for Jesus. You and I, as we, as I stand here, have no excuse, folks. God has called, given us the task, and empowered us by his spirit to do the mission. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing? Are we willing to let go of the conditions? You see, this is where Isaiah 61 comes in. Now, knowing that Father Charles has come here before, I'm sure he's possibly preached on this passage. (laughs) But I want to highlight maybe something he hasn't. And it's not actually in your bulletin. It follows on from the passage that we read. It's actually in verses 5 and 6 of Isaiah 61. Yes, we have been anointed with the Spirit. Yes, this is ultimately about Jesus. But actually, when Isaiah is proclaiming this, it is actually about himself and the people of God. Verses 5 and 6, he says, Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. That is you. That is me. We are called to be priests in God's kingdom. That's what first Peter is talking about. You and I, as we came into faith in Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are now priests to the world. We are sacraments of Jesus in the world. An outward, invisible sign of an inward and spiritual grace that we should all have learned in catechism, right? You are an outward, invisible sign of Jesus in the world. And you have been empowered by His Holy Spirit to do the work that He has appointed for you. Now, what does a priest do? A lot of people don't know what a priest does, but there are three core things. A priest absolves, a priest blesses, and a priest consecrates. In the New Testament, Paul talks a lot about us being givers of absolution. He calls it reconciliation. We in our lives are called to reconcile others to God. So when I stand and make absolution before you today, I am reconciling you. I am proclaiming the reality of that reconciliation to you. That God has been reconciled to you and you to he. So as we have a conversation around our table, as we talk, as we reflect together, we are called to reconciliation. Secondly, we are called to consecrate. Genesis 1, ultimately, I would argue, is a temple enthronement liturgy. I know, fancy words. What it means is that the creation is God's temple, and God, on the seventh day, looks out over his creation and sees that it is very good, and he rests, i.e., he is enthroned over his creation. Every temple has to have priests, so my question is, who are the priests? Anybody? Us. We are the priests. Adam and Eve are the first priests in God's temple. So whether you wear the funny clothes or not, you are a priest of the Lord in his creation. And your job is to go out and consecrate the world. You are called to go into the world to consecrate it on his behalf. So how do we do that? We eat together. We share stories together, we pray together, we study together, we swim together, we hike together. Guess what? We live life. Because we have been so transformed by the Spirit that our life is this fragrant offering before the Lord. We complicate the mission of God more than it needs to be complicated. As you walk out the west doors today, you are on mission I will stand before you and give you, the last thing a priest does, a blessing. And I will bless you. Guess what a blessing is? It is a consecration to do the work that God has called you to. The blessing of God, when you read throughout the scriptures, is about a mission that God has given them. So when the fathers, the patriarchs, would lay hands on their children and bless them, they would proclaim their mission, their purpose, their orientation. So when I stand and bless you today, guess what? It's God saying, get out there and do the work. Go. As I have been sent, I am sending you. Do the mission. And I am empowering you to do it by my spirit. The purpose of the sacrament of the altar is not only a warm, fuzzy feeling that we get because we got Jesus. The Eucharist itself is missional. If you and I, as the church, as the people of God, are called to be sacraments in the world, then we are called to extend the table into the world. We are called to be, as Isaiah put it, priests of the Lord, ministers of God. And therefore, as we go from this place, we extend the, ta- the table of the Lord to our own tables in our homes. As we have coffee, as we have meal. As we reflect with our friends and family. You see, mission isn't complicated. When we came to Missoula, we knew no one. And the first two years of our time in Missoula was getting to know people. And I met uh, a couple of young guys at the university one day, and they were all about trying to figure out who I was, why I was wearing the funny collar, et cetera, et cetera. And, it, and it got to a point where I was like, I can either answer all their questions or I can just stop it right now and we get to it later. So what I did was I stopped it. I said, okay, I can answer your questions, but why don't you just come to my house and we'll have dinner together? And they were kind of shocked by that. What do you mean dinner together? So the guy that I invited brought a friend because he was like, who's this crazy guy that's inviting me over to dinner? So they come to our house, and our tradition at our family is to pray one prayer or sing a song in prayer. And we normally sing the doxology. The way this guy tells the story now that I've heard it after, after knowing him for five years now, He said, the moment that you and your kids started to sing the doxology around the table, I knew something was different. The normative practice of our family, something that we do every single night, changed him. Why? Because we as a family are sacraments of Christ in the world. We are the priests of the Lord. We are the ministers of God no matter where we go because we have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the task that he has set for us. You and I are on the hook. We can't look around and simply say, "Well, you know, I don't have enough strength or I don't have enough of this. I don't have enough time. I've got too many things to do. I'm sorry." That is not good enough. The fact is is that no matter your life stage, no matter your physical ability, no matter whether you're good enough, smart enough, or doggone it people like you or not, it doesn't matter. Jesus has empowered you to do this. He is calling you to do this in order that we might be on mission in the world. This last weekend we had executive committee weekend uh, retreat. And one of the things that we finished each day with were two questions that I found really helpful. Number one, what do you now see that you didn't see before? What do you see differently now? You see, when we start to see mission as all of our lives, not some special subset of it or training that I received on how to do it or the things that I'm called to, but it is my life, how do I see my life differently now? Because every moment I'm on mission. So my brief interaction with a barista at Starbucks is mission. I am called on mission. I met with a pastor friend of mine for coffee one morning. And we went into this place that does homemade bread. And we started talking with the guy behind the counter Turns out he moved from Venezuela, got involved in a relationship, divorce. In five minutes, I heard his life story because I was seeing the moment as mission. That's all it takes, folks. It doesn't take a degree. It doesn't take a class. What it takes is the living God in you to see the world as he sees it. One of my favorite passages of Scripture is... The prophet standing with his servant and the servants freaking out. Look at all these armies that are coming at us. What are we going to do? Save us. What does the prophet pray? Open his eyes that he might see that those that are with us are greater than those that are against us. As the people of God, we have nothing to fear. He who is with us is greater than those who are against us. So how do you now see the world differently? How do you see it in your family differently, at school differently, at work differently? And the second question is this. Now that you've seen it differently... What do you need to change? What needs to be adjusted in order to participate in what you see? So that's the question before us. If we see the way God sees in mission, what do we need to adjust to partner with him in that? Maybe it's the daily timeline that has become sacrosanct where we don't have space in it to have any disruption whatsoever. Maybe it's a family moment where we actually see God's sacramental work through us taking place with our family members. Father Alexander Schmemann in his book, For the Life of the World, puts it this way. He says there is no more sacramental moment than when a father and his child wrestle on the floor a sacrament an outward invisible sign of the grace that we have received so what do we need to adjust to begin to address what we've seen I guarantee you that as I've been talking at least one person has come to mind excuse me come to mind for you a face a name somebody that God has Placed in your path, if you will. Are you willing to see them the way God sees them? Are you willing to be on mission for him with them? Mission is having a cup of coffee with someone. Mission is me walking my dog in the mountains. As I engage people on the trail. Mission is is me with my kids watching a movie. Why? Because we are the priests of the Lord, the ministers of our God. You and I. That is our calling. The question ultimately is, are we going to be conditional about what God will do? Having seen it, Having recognized we need to adjust, will we still say, I'm not sure, Jesus? That is the calling of the Lord on our lives. May we be a people who incarnate the missional God we serve in order that all may come to know him. For his namesake and for his glory.